the RTS London podcast. So tonight for our panel, it's chaired by Nadine Dereza. For those who don't know who Nadine is, she's an award-winning presenter and journalist, presenting business, news and entertainment programmes on TV, radio and online. She's also hosted and moderated a vast number of conferences, panel discussions and events. So we're very honoured. So I'll now hand you over to Nadine, who will chair the panel and Lovely. introduce everyone else. Thank you. Thank you very much, David. Thank you. Thank you, David, very much indeed. And yes, on behalf of the Royal Television Society and also the Institution of Engineering and Technology, a very warm welcome to this IBC review for 2022, where it's been billed as looking at the future of content. So thank you very much for spending your evening with us. And you can see we've got a very eager panel who can't wait to share their thoughts and ideas on what they thought about this year's IBC. Now, for those of you that didn't make it to IBC, then I think this evening is a perfect opportunity to bring IBC to life. But I know there's some people in the room that were there, so I think you just want to relive the experience again, which is great. And actually, it'd be wonderful to get your thoughts and comments as well, particularly if you've been there. But also, if you weren't there this year, then please, we welcome your questions and comments too. If you want any points of clarification or any areas that we haven't covered as well, it'd be great to get your involvement. And we'll do that later on during the panel discussion and Q&A. Now, IBC is billed as the world's leading media, entertainment and technology show, and for a very good reason. You can see there's a few stats up on the slide there. So this year had over, I think, 37,000 people. It's a bit of an eye test for me. Hopefully I've passed. Yes, I did. And we had over 170 countries represented as well through those attendees as well. So a truly international event. It was held over four days from the 9th to 12th of September. I've been there in total, I think, about nine years over the last 12 years in total, but didn't make it to this year's event, which is very bizarre then, chairing an event, which I wasn't at, but I like to think I'm the true ears and the eyes of the audience that weren't there as well. I was on another event at the time, but I do know the event very, very well, having hosted numerous cable and satellite awards over the years where I think Terry has been on the judging panel. So that's where I first met Terry all those years ago. And in this review, we're going to be looking at the latest news from IBC, including the key trends. We'll also be looking at what the products and services that caught the panellists' eyes, and they're going to be sharing those ideas with you as well, what grabbed their attention, and including the key trends and themes as well. So if you've heard, my name is Nadine DeRays, and how this review is going to work, I'm going to be chairing tonight. And in a moment, I'm going to get each panellist to introduce themselves briefly so they have a chance to speak and we can check the microphones are working as well. And then each panellist will have five to ten minutes, which really is a hint to them not to go over their ten minutes allotted time. So I'm looking at you, first of all, because you'll be setting the tone for that. But I have all sorts of ways and means of making sure that they keep to time. And then once we've heard from all the panellists, then I maybe have a couple of questions Then I'm going to throw it open to the floor. We aim to finish roughly about 7.45 and then the real fun and game starts where we can go back down to the library, which I think you were first welcomed this evening for some drinks. I think they're on. Are they on the house? Am I, or am I giving away valuable resources? They are now. 
A finite amount. There you go. So yeah, go. So yeah, they're on me. There we go. A finite amount. So that's how it's going to run today. So hopefully that's all sounds fabulous, and it's great that we're back here after such a long time. So first of all, I'd like to welcome our first panelist, which is Mehboob Adiki, who's the client partner of NTT Data UK. I hope I've got your name correct. So you've got about 20 to 30 seconds just to bring to life your role, please. Good evening, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. I have been, I've got some 20 years plus experience in media and I have been visiting IBC since last 18 years. So I've been seeing the changes happening over so many years. That's my 30 seconds. Brilliant. Thank very you very good. Much. That was under. Very well. OK, we won't give you any more, though. And uh, Russell Trafford-Jones, hello to you, chair of the IET Media Technical Network. And, and Russell, lovely to have you here. And I know you're at IBC this year as well. So just bring to life your role at the moment. Yeah, indeed. Well, with the IET Media Network, I'll tell you a little bit more about that in, in a bit. But at IBC, I got to see all sorts of um, products as part of one of the, uh, the judging panels. So uh, it was really great to see a, a wide range. And we'll come and talk about that in a few moments. Absolutely. Good to have you as well. And Mookie Cullen, I think, has brought her own fan club here. I think it's responsible for... There you go, there you go. Please cheer if you know Mookie. They, in the and clap. Go on. Come on, come on, cheer and clap. Come on, let's, let's hear you out there. And I no, really. no. Accelerator Innovation Co-Lead. What a title. Thank you. It's, it's, uh, thanks so much for putting this on, IET. And it's great to be back in person. And thanks, Terry, for organizing. I am Mookie Cullen. I'm the Innovation Co-Lead at IBC for the IBC Accelerators. I'm also an independent innovation, chief innovation officer and Meditech producer of my own company. And so been involved in IBC probably the last seven or eight years. I'm also um, been heavily involved in a lot of diversity inclusion committees, content steering groups, but this is the, the third year I've been part of the IBC Accelerators, and I'm going to share a little bit more of the highlights with you in a moment. And just a caveat, this is not IBC. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> we do not work for Civil Airport. Yeah. Well, that was the uh, cues so trying to get into the show, surely. Not representative of our videos. So, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. thanks for coming, everybody, and look forward to sharing a bit more details about the accelerators with you. Isn't that not Shipple, though, everyone queuing? That's uh, not Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, there were. Is that Gatwick? Yeah, we, we missed the queues, didn't we? There we go, from three years ago. It was good to see the queues back again. Yeah, beautiful shot there. Welcome to you. And um, sitting alongside you is Jonathan Chapel. Sir Tyre, is that correct? Am I Close enough, yeah. Close enough. Go on, go on. <laughs> tell us your real surname. Satire. Satire. Thank there. you. And an IP broadcast project engineer with Timeline TV, but I know currently you're working with BT Sport. But, drum roll please, RTS Young Technologist of the Year, which is very exciting. <laughs> Yep. And before you say anything, though, I think there's another joint Young Technologist of the Year sitting in the audience. This is where I hope that they have actually turned up. Is it Jarrell Wright? Are you here, Jarrell? Is he in the toilet? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just pretend. There, there, there he is, look. He's in there. Just, just wave, just pretend. Uh, no one will know any different. Yeah, God. Yeah, you look young enough. There you go. So, yeah. Well, I was one of the judges, so I can test why that is not him. Yeah, no. <laughs> Do you know what? When you're told someone's coming, it's always really good to check in advance. I fell the first hurdle, didn't I? But there we go. But it was a joint technologist for, for a very good reason. I know you've never met the other joint technologist, <laughs> and you still haven't. Still yet to yeah. meet him, yeah. So, anyway, your moment of fame at the moment, Jonathan. So, just introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah, so I currently work as an IP broadcast project engineer at Timeline, particularly in the managed service role for BT Sport. So, that involves kind of like elevated support for their IP core infrastructure that they've just put in as of last year, using the SMPTE 2110 technology. 
and it also involves project engineering, so system design, architecture, and kind of like looking towards the future as to what technology can we use for BT Sport, who are our client, to best meet their needs. So I guess my focus when going to IBC was was looking towards IP technologies in particular, but also where future technologies could play a part too. Brilliant. Well, good to have you here and congratulations again. And last but not least, he's the gentleman that's brought loads of magazines for your delight and uh, delicatation. Where are they? Are they downstairs in the library? There you go, yeah. <laughs> Take them home. He's, he just, he's looking to offload his magazines. No, they're a really good read. Neil Romanik, who's the editor-in-chief at Feed magazine. So please, Neil, introduce yourself. Yeah, so Neil Romanik, editor of Feed. And yes, the, those mags out there, you saw that Speed magazine. We uh, cover innovations in the broadcast. And uh, I was thinking, actually, I was looking, and I recognise a, a face from my very first IBC, which was when I was called to uh, to do a sports <laughs> conference. Somebody said, you're the sports guy, right? You know how to do sports. And I did not know how to do sports. But I said, yes. And I figured it out as I went along. And, and that kind of started my relationship with IBC. And I've kind of worked with them off and on. And uh, kind of throughout that time, I've been a journalist in the broadcast and media tech space. And, and I've been able to look at the industry and IBC with that kind of journalistic I, which means that you know everybody tells me the stuff that they don't tell each other. So it's kind of great to get that sort of perspective, kind of a bird's eye view, and hopefully I'll, I'll give you kind of a, almost a meta view of what I kind of saw at IBC this year and kind of what some of the trends were. Brilliant. Share some secrets. And to give them a bit of encouragement, let's give them a big round of applause, please. So make them feel welcomed. Brilliant. <laughs> So that's our panel. As I said, they've got five to ten minutes, another hint for them to stay on time. And we're going to start with Mayboob, first of all, client partner from Entity Data UK. So again, please bring to life what's your review of IPC. See, before IBC, we went through a pandemic, right? So pandemic exposed certain weaknesses within the media industry. So a lot of C-level and industries were trying to look for solutions for that. So the two big problems which arose because of pandemic, one is the remote production. How can people work from anywhere? Whereas there's an event happening, capture it and do work from anywhere. That was one. So there was a lot of actually discussions happening around how with 5G coming in and latency reducing, that's becoming highly possible. And people can now work from anywhere. Let me just give an example. When we were having an IBC at that time, unfortunately, there was a death of the queen and more, a lot of people had to leave and rush to Scotland for the coverage of it because it was a global event. Had a remote production been in place probably would have saved a lot of people to travel. That's number one. Number two, I'm also seeing that a lot of cost cutting is happening in the industry. It happens especially when it's a recession or pre-recession kind of stuff. So, so okay, uh, you know, a big group of people have to travel to an event, hotels, travels and all that. That could help with that as well. So these are the one which was exposed. Second weakness which was exposed during pandemic was the media supply chain as well. So in supply chain, there were a lot of areas, especially cloud-based areas, which could be used. Though Those were the second challenge. Now, this is the challenge which a lot of C-level were looking at the solution for this. Plus, there were also emerging technologies on the other hand. So one of the technologies emerging which we could see is also because of the things happening in the society. One was the impact on OTT. 
OTT really grew very well during the pandemic. People were at home and they started watching a lot of programs. But once the pandemic ended, then became cost of living. So everyone had like two, three, four kind of subscription, but now they know that the subscription, people are going to cut down on the subscription. So they're looking at different models. So one could be like ad-based models where they introduce ad and lower down the prices. That is one. On the second hand, it has also bought something called as fast channels. I don't know if you know, the full form of fast channels is free and ad supported, which is doing extremely well in America. And there's a reason for it. For example, in America, there are 20 plus service providers for fast channel, free and ad supported, who have probably 1,000 plus linear channels plus VOD. Just to give an example, Roku TV, IMDb TV, then you have Samsung TV Plus, Peacock TV owned by Comcast, which is doing extremely well in America, but started to make some inroads in Europe. And there's a reason for this. The reason is in America, it's commercial. The free-to-air TV is highly commercial or controlled by commercial. It's basically a cable, a land where a lot of cable is there. So internet, internet penetration is a lot more in those places in America compared to the cable. Whereas in Europe, you have a very good free broadcasting infrastructure. So that's the reason probably it's not picking up. But in US, it's picking up. I'm sure it'll pick up in, Euro in Europe as well. Number three is sustainability. Now, at least one good thing happened is now there are less critics of global warming after seeing what's happening around us. Like for example, the you know melting of glaciers in Himalayan mountains had flooded Pakistan. One third of Pakistan was flooded. Near home, if you come, extreme heat during summer and extreme cold during winters and drought all are showing that the global warming is real. So net zero is definitely something which a lot of people are thinking of. The one good shift in mind is one is the acceptability that is real. And the second thing is it's not seen as a risk or threat anymore. It's seen as an opportunity. Because if you see, net zero probably has bought in some of the biggest innovation in the century. If you see Teslas of the world, electric cars, if you see renewable energy, now more so, renewable energy, you see the kind of investment going, it is an opportunity for all of us. So I strongly believe that that is something which probably will be carried over by a lot of organizations in terms of how do we turn a threat into an opportunity for us and probably monetize it as well. So these are the few areas which I noticed. Other than that, one very interesting thing I saw was TV as a service. I never heard of this before. I've been following this for the last couple of years. But TV as a service means you can rent the way you have software as a service, where you rent software and pay monthly charges or transaction charges. Similarly, you can rent a TV as a service and be a pay operator yourself. This is something we were talking about for quite a few years, but now what I see is that core network has been evolving into as a general, you know, as a general network as a service kind of a thing, platform. So I, I had a discussion with a few interesting people, which was that you can now hire the head end and start your own pay TV where they will manage the head end and it'll be, you can have a live sports, you can stop, you can record, 
can do all those things. Uh, it's available on various set-up boxes, various devices. This is something which is, we are still early into it, but I think this is something which could have a future in terms of linear television as well. That's so these are five things from my side. Yeah, absolutely. And just picking up on one of the points about OTT services, those streaming mm -hmm. services, adapting to lower consumer spending, yeah. particularly the last quarter where mm -hmm. household budgets are squeezed. And just squeezed. in the UK alone, I chaired a session a couple of weeks ago where only 10% are classed as financially immune in mm -hmm. the coming months yeah. and next year. Yeah. So that's about 90% of the, of the UK population who are going to be changing their spending habits. Absolutely. So how have you seen OTT services adapting to that new normal? Yeah, see, during pandemic, 66% of the population in UK had two or more services, subscription services for OTT. Now, with cost of living coming, and also there's equally, you know, the competition coming. Like I said, Fast TV is one channel which is coming, which is free and ad-based. And you already have iPlayer, you have Channel 4, you have YouTube. I should not forget that. You have ITV. You already have a lot of. I don't know how much content a person is going to watch. That's number one. So, and especially with the squeeze happening now, I'm... People are predicting that they're already actually reducing the number of subscription or subscribing only for a month or so to watch some specific program in a specific uh, OTT platform, those kind of things. So there's a squeeze going to happen. So what, and also if you noticed in the last three or four months, the prices have gone up of the standard OTT channels, which is Disney Plus and Netflix and AWS. The all prices have gone up. So they are trying to introduce a new service where which would be reduced cost subscription, but would be supported by advertisement. So which is a kind of a combination of a fast channel and OTT service provider. Yeah, interesting stuff. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. And obviously, if there's any questions later on specifically for Mayboob, then do make a note of them. But in the meantime, thank you to Mayboob. Thank you, Mayboob. Thank you. Thank you. We're going down the track. So, Russell, it's over to you. Just a reminder, Russell is chair of the IT Media Technical Network. Russell. Thank you. So, I think we'll split this into two things, really. First of all, I want to just make it clear what, what the IT Media Network is, what we're up to, and how that links in with IBC. And then we'll talk about IBC itself. So, obviously, IT is, is, a, is a great mix of many verticals within engineering really touches everything that we, we see in society. And our role as, as a technical network focused on media is to support anybody with a technical career within within media. We use that as much as, as a broad phrase as, as we can. So um, our interest, for instance, I'm glad you mentioned the sustainability. I'm sure that'll come up again. Over the last year, we've had in this very room a, a day when we were talking about sustainability in broadcast, having Don from Greening of, of Streaming here and, and Danielle Mulder from the BBC talking about the different challenges that the industry has and is very much starting to, to get to grips with. So, uh, you know, it, it's about uh, unveiling and things that are, are fairly new. We know, all know that climate change is new, but actually getting to grips with it uh, and really meaning it, I think, uh, unfortunately, is new, but it's starting. When it comes to IBC, IT is part of one of the member companies or bodies uh, for IBC. 
and we ran, we wanted to look really at, it's almost like a State of the Union address, but there's a lot of the unions talk about, we've got the business side of the, the industry, video and, and of course audio. So we split that up into three sessions and we ran that as, as part of the conference, both the paid and, uh, and free to access, and bringing together people from around the, the industry to talk about where we're at and really into it, try and just to scrape a little bit away some of the talking points. So I'll just give you the one example of the audio one, where really we're trying to understand where audio is with respect to video. And now we're all going into the cloud, and that was a clear indicator at IBC. Has been for many years, but it's becoming more and more a defined proposition. But it may be that we're at the first time that I remember the audio is lagging a little bit behind uh, behind video, and that's not a lip sync gag. The, <laughs> okay, perhaps it should have been. Sorry, but the you know there there seems to be inherent problems both perceptually and and, and technically in in mixing audio in the cloud, having every all, all the audio presented in the cloud and doing the mix there, yet having a very intelligent audio sound supervisor down on the ground with actual faders doing a real show one that's non-trivial and so we spent a lot of time behind the scenes interviewing people and talking to try and find the right people to get in to talk about that and also press on the question of of next generation audio whether it is or isn't a success whether it's on its way to being a success or or otherwise so you know that's that that, that's part of what we what we did with 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 ibc the other aspect of what we're what we do at the it media is uh, for instance we're, we're we're sponsoring the Radio Tech Con, which is coming up next month. And that's a really good radio-focused conference to lift the lid on, on technology behind radio, which is continues to fascinate me. And unfortunately, you know, there are very few outlets for real technical discussion, and that's one of those. So that's really the IT technical media's networks part of, of what, what we're up to. Overall, looking at IBC... First of all, it was great to be back, and I think we saw a preview of that at MPTS earlier in the year here. People were just desperate to say hello to everybody. It was, it was a really nice situation, and we're finally seeing people again. So it's a bit of a repeat of that, and of course, the numbers were lower than they have been previously. But I, I do feel, and the, the feeling I got from other people was that the, the conversations and the, and the people and the representation of the companies were still there. And probably lacking on the you know North American side of things and perhaps an Asian, but I think the, the overall quality and interest was still there. They were still busy. Now, of course, there was a few halls fewer, but we've already heard that that's that's going back up for next year just due to the the renewed interest. So you know, I think it's going to continue to go up certainly for another year, and we'll see another IBC, a busy IBC coming. In terms of technology then I think there's been I don't think there's been any major earth shattering new features to to any part of the industry and it has definitely been a maturing of 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 the of the proposition if you've got to look at the whole the whole chain right and some people let's say a few years ago were saying right we've cracked this this is a new thing we're going to do and if you take low latency streaming like ultra low latency streaming in some ways that's been possible for a lot a long time but it's increasingly been more and more practical to deliver things sub-second or close to sub-second depending on how you want to do it now that used to be a, a, a thing saying right we've, we, we can actually do it now but if you think about how we we normally consume products services it's not about whether it 
it can do it's how it does it we don't worry about whether the car can make it to glasgow or not we just know that the car's going to get there what we care about is how the car does it and we've all got our preferences and just every business has got its own bespoke needs very much i think this the same companies were coming back and you know three years later you know, what they can do whilst delivering you that that, that same that same feature is so much more you know the car still gets there the latency is still still low but all of a sudden you've got a lot more confidence that this is something that a major broadcaster could say yeah we'll go into that yeah indeed and how about from sort of a user perspective when it comes to say security and better mm-hmm. integration was there anything there that you picked up on well i think you know it, depending on which part you're looking at th- there's definitely been a realization within industry over a number of years that security is is important and i've seen that on the on the other side of, of having to respond to you know, customer requirements. Some people are actively testing their vendors to make sure that they've got the good security as a company, not just on the equipment itself. And, and we've seen a number of, of aspects where, whether it's in the cybersecurity of the product itself or adding you know, DRM to other, otherwise very good propositions where security is clearly one of those features where you know is added to the list it's not a deal breaker in itself for for some people but on the other hand it's really important to have it in that that, that portfolio of features for the products well thank you very much to russell everybody thank you russell So again, start thinking up your questions. I can see a few people making a few notes. I'm expecting some questions from the front row because they're making quite a few notes there. So just remember, you will have an opportunity to ask questions at the end. Now, I'm very excited that Mookie with her fan club is here. And Mookie <laughs> has really pulled out all the stops. She's got a video for us, yes. And some slides as well. It's I've, amazing, isn't it? I've got, well, you promised tap dance. I have a soft shoe <laughs> number. So between us all, we've got it covered. Yes, yeah, sizzle uh, real. Indeed, yes. So that'll be coming really shortly. So I guess you're... Are you driving the slides? We've got a little bit of information just to kind of give you a little bit of an overview around what the IBC accelerators are. So you can just kind of click through these. Um, the, the entire point of the, the entire kind of IBC accelerators was developed a few years ago by my colleague Mark Smith as part of a TM Forum initiative. And then throughout 2019, 2020, 2021, and 2022, the core purpose is to be developed as, as a as a framework, you know, as a program to support the media and entertainment industry and really have a framework for a really agile and very fast track, multi, multi-company collaborative innovation. So we can just kind of cling through here. I was playing around with some animations. But some of the opportunities that we've been exploring over the last few years are industry-recognized challenges. So you heard what our esteemed panel have been discussing here, of things that are happening on the show floor, things that champions are discussing, which are the broadcasters and technology companies and participants and vendors and suppliers. So we could just flip through these quite quickly here. Yeah, so things, things like transitioning an IP, evolution of more experiential and immersive technologies like AR, VR, spatial audio, new and creative types of distribution and production and remote production and also extended realities within 5G, always a huge popular theme within the accelerators. The boom in the direct-to-consumer platforms, we talked about OTT. A lot of new topics have been brought up this year with the Next Generation Newsroom around trust and regulatory disparity between traditional media and online. 
and and things like accessibility, diversity, inclusion, huge hot topics that I think have been long forgotten about and now luckily are becoming really important to, to all the groups and companies that we work with. So that's really refreshing yeah. to see that be addressed. And then just two more clicks, please. Thank you. Thinking about a lot of challenges that have been brought up around a lot of the evolution on new media, such as AI, cloud-based, we've discussed this already, blockchain technology, very, very exciting. Deployment around voice technology, you know, object-based technology, IoT, and of course, the evolution that we're going to be seeing a huge trajectory around Web3 and where that's going in our fourth industrial revolution. And But really, you know, what we're doing is creating opportunities to have bite-sized challenges developed in a very, you know, addressing common pain points that you know, we've just heard it here again, just with two people. We haven't even gotten on this side of the room. But you'll hear, like, you know what? We know we need to figure this out. Let's talk about this. And then it creates a good open collaboration sandbox for everybody to get together and create some proof of concept, explore these solutions in a very short sprint. And so just April 7th, we had our IBC Accelerator Kickstart Day right here on this very stage. And then they were able, the groups were able to form and then showcase, showcase some of the projects, showcase all the projects at IBC. So just the next slide. Right. So just a quick definition on who are the champions in an IBC Accelerator project. Traditionally, they are the broadcasters, larger media technology companies, studios, um, join for specific reasons, but a lot of them are around, you know, thinking about where that R&D might lie, where they might not have the budget or the resources, where you can get fresh insights with a lot of expertise around, you know, in a think tank type of environment, but also a really good, solid, hands-on environment. Um, The proof of concepts are not, I always love quoting our friend Sandy McIntyre, he was the ex-former VP of Associated Press, you might know him, who called our accelerators, you know, we're not set out to the boil the ocean. You know, it's purpose-built to explore many proof-of-concepts and what these solutions are be. There's no wrong answers, and we're really proud to display these proof-of-concepts, warts and all, and really dig under the hood and, and reveal. Champions, you know, and participants looking forward to being thought leadership, bringing IP, or IBC does not know, own any, does not keep any IP of any of the proof-of-concepts explored. Everything goes back to the, to the champion and participant to go back to to your stakeholders to showcase to other conferences. And of course, there's the chance to win the prestigious IBC Accelerator of the Year Award. So next slide, please. Yep. So in participants who are traditionally the vendors and suppliers of what these solutions bring to the table, working with the champions, gaining this type of knowledge around really, really quite C-suite expertise and uh, around these think tanks. And really, um, you know, a, a lot of these are going off of a it, you know, it's, it's not more than just a white paper or green paper or tech paper. It's really getting their hands dirty and developing, bringing, bringing the workflows and pipelines to life. And a lot of it is around, you know, the, the, the exposure that comes with the accelerators is really invaluable too. And just being to be there and having your logo up next to some of the other heavy hitters and supporting some of the smaller companies as well, too. And, of course, the chance to win a prestigious IBC Accelerator of the Year Award, which, as you can see, the winners. Winners. Looking very year. happy. Looking very, very happy. <laughs> this group was the 5G location-based extended reality group who won the first inaugural IBC Accelerator Award right here at this very building. So some of the group, some of the members are here in the audience. We can give them a round of yes. applause, some of this group. 
So move, moving on, let's see what we did in 2022. So throughout the last few years, as you can see, we've got 80 plus very, an amazing roster of champions and participants from very large companies, like I said, broadcaster studios to some of the smaller companies and even larger participants as well. And we were lucky enough to have some great sponsorship this year and support from Microsoft and AMD, which was really, really supportive and amazing across all of the eight projects. And so as you can see in the next slide, we've got a little array of what were what were these projects that 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 happened this year? So I've got like a little cheat sheet, my my examples, because myself and my colleague Mark Smith are across all eight, and then I normally kind of dig deep in exact four of them, as does Mark. So we kind of divide divide these things up. So I'm just going to kind of give you a couple little highlights of what we had here. So the first project that you see on the board is the. 5G and the arena of the future for XR events. And this is an extension of the winning group that won the 2021 award, as you can see. And what this group did is take it, took the learnings from 2021, which still really, really restricted the L and the B location in the base during, still during lockdown times and COVID times. It was little, I love that, know, the L and the B. I thought we were going to go into a rap here. But I, well, that's it. Are you ready? You can beatbox, right? Okay, no, good. Put them on the spot. But what, what this group did is take the learnings from the previous year, the, pre, the previous year, and really apply it toward into three-dimensional worlds. What would, what would those interactive three-dimensional worlds be around sport? And we, we had Haddo as a returning champion and Vodafone as a returning champion, where we're able to explore some augmented reality into those XR sports. But also, look at the commercial model. How do we take these formats in a, a real-life event, throw in some hyper-personalization with fans, and bring that into a three-dimensional world for the player, the athletes, the fan in the arena, and on location, but looking at those commercial models and exploring even three-dimensional advertising and what, what went into that, too. So I'm, I'm conscious of time, so I'm going to kind of buzz through a little bit of these, and I'm around for drinks and soft shoe tap numbers afterward here, too. So the five, 5G production in the middle of nowhere was also a little bit of an extension of the previous year, exploring the remote production, not only in the middle of nowhere in Ireland, but they deployed kit to Kenya, New Zealand, and back to the Highland Games live during IBC. And this kit, which, which was created through Strath University of Strathclyde and many, many, many of the other champions and participants here, was actually did, they actually did a demo right here on this very stage. If you were there at Kickstart Day, you'll remember it. And some really great highlights. I'm actually holding in my hand, hot off the press, press release around, which is available on the IBC website, as is all of these projects here. But we're really, really, we're proud of all eight of these groups. And, and what we do find with a lot of these groups, they stay together. They make some great business relationships and some even great friendships. Some of the Slack groups stay together and continue to, to explore. But this group was approached, obviously, the day before IBC started was the passing of, of, Queen, of the, her, the late Majesty Queen Elizabeth. And um, I'm, I'm very sorry, Her Late Majesty the Queen Elizabeth II. Thank you very much. I wanted to get that right. And there at IBC, we they were approached by QTV, which is a big Scottish broadcaster. And the kit and stack that they made of the 5G in a box was then deployed to be used within... 
48 hours of that conversation, used it within 24 hours of getting a, the 5G SA network and a spectrum on a frequency band in N77 at 3.8 gigahertz to 4.2 gigahertz. I want to say that because I'm at the IET and I felt like I needed to throw some <laughs> gigahertz in Ten, there. Are you impressed? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'm reading it off of a paper, but I should know that off my head. Uh, but, you know, they designed and deployed the stack that was able to be in partnership with Neutral Wireless and deployed to to be able to broadcast the the departure of the, like Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II from Scotland into the RAF Norfolk base. And that was amazing because all of that was tried and tested through the accelerators. Yeah. So that's quite an achievement. So, so other ones, you're talking about low latency and some of these cloud protocols. Um, the cloud-based event was exploring through live sport and looking at some of the, the visibility and some of the IB, IP signal ingesting. Cloud localization blueprint, we got some folks in the room here. Yes, okay, round of applause, yeah. This, this, this group has been amazing. I would say that even if they weren't in the room because what they did is not only explore several verticals around proof of concepts, but then actually built full oper operable platform on how these use cases were put to use. So it's kind of like thinking about the supply chain and around where these kind of like a, a dream team of these software companies devising the blueprint for distribution and entertainment and li licensing localization. So we're super, super proud of this group too, as we are of all eight. Next Generation News Studio, we have some folks in the room. I'll, we'll just con continue round of applauses in our brains yeah. uh, while we're <laughs> continuing going. But this group was able to really think about you know, where where is news created? How is it consumed? Thinking about, again, what does that studio look like? And right now, a studio is anywhere. It's your house. It's your back garden. It's, it's you know, but where are these kind of kind of full full end-to-end -end deployment of these workflows could be put to good use. And then we've got the Six Degrees of Freedom audio-led narrative and music experiences, the metaverse. We've got some of these folks in the room. We'll get round of applause in our brains, yes. And, and again, this is an extension of a group that was developing room simulation and spatial audio type of a experimental, you know, within a broadcast environment, within a narrative environment, within thinking about those 3D environments. So, and, and again, deployed into a real world use case, which is really, really fantastic. So getting their hands dirty, getting stuck in, g going into studios, and also, also thinking about, I, I say AMD all the time because they were the sponsors, but ADM. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Which I'm sure will be brought up at RadioCon right here on this stage as well. So two more to go. Volumetric video in, in for broadcasting and metaverse production and RT3D assets. Think really exploring that use case around volumetric video in a broadcast situation and also the use of real-time three-dimensional game engine deployed into a studio and, and within a production workflows. And then last but not least, our media content sharing, monetization, and micropayment via blockchain. And blockchain is a very new technology that I think will start to be picking up over the last, the next couple of years. So I think it'll be, it'll be, uh, it'll be, deployed more often as we see this, this decentralized systems improve. Okay, I think I, I got the sizzle. It's only one minute. Can we play that sizzle and then I'm stopping? Yeah. Okay. Okay, that's what it looked like there if you were there live. Okay, next one. Okay. I've got your, your, your curtains as there well. We there we go. If you're and on a PowerPoint course. <laughs>
The Accelerator program is incredible. It's an initiative by the industry for the industry, a framework for collaborative innovation that brings together best of breed industry partners, physically and virtually, to work on challenges from a business and technical perspective that pushing the boundaries in the market. I think the collaboration was the best part of this because to actually get together and work on a problem together, that was that was new. We really get to push the limits and work with a very wide spectrum of collaborators from big names to smaller names and really share our knowledge with each other. Customers, studios, media entertainment companies, solutions providers, software companies, hardware, everyone together. Exchange ideas, exchange new ways of doing things and importantly, really putting it to the test. When everyone's here together, stuff happens, you know, there's energy and there's just these sort of meetings, sparks happen and, you know, you can't compare the real live events or anything else really. Wow. So that's the sizzle we promised you and the next slide will show we're taking ex ex interest for expression. Oh, that's wrong. Anyway, so the web IBC website has all of this information and all the case studies and more too. Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I suppose people who went to the show got to hear about the case studies and, and listen and talk and chat. And it's Gareth who was featured yes. in the film about coming together person to person. You just can't beat that and actually sharing ideas. We can do a lot of stuff remotely, but every so often it is nice to come together. Just very interesting about blockchain as well, that it mm -hmm. came with a bang and then it sort of faded. But in my eyes it is a real game changer and it's we've just scratched the surface when it I comes agree. to blockchain it's already adopted in other industries successfully as well so it'd be interesting to see what media technology and IBC what the future for blockchain is going to be like but just interesting from your point of view all those projects that you mentioned about IoT I did a show for CNBC featuring the internet of things and it feels that 5G is the one that's really going to make things happen but does 5G have or will it have do you think enough coverage to be reliable well you know right now 5G is still you know very you know it's kind of location based <laughs> that is the location based so like on a on a global level you know you you do rely on spectrum you do rely on you know, where that connectivity lies. You also will have to rely heavily on devices. And I think what the 5G projects so far I've been exploring have really proven those use cases, whether that is that reliability around the connectivity, yes. Even deploying in a, in, in a real-life situation 48 hours after IBC finished into a global broadcast live from the tarmac in Scotland, incredible. So yes, <laughs> yes, it does. On a, and, and again, I think like user devices will also be making a big difference and where those lie as well. So a bright future. Well, you know what? I, I, by the time we talk again, or we meet again, it'll be, we're talking about 6G, yeah. possibly, or 7G. <laughs> so, so as we know, as engineers and, and creative technologists and people who are curious about how things work, you just keep breaking it and putting it back together and pushing those boundaries and just yeah. see where it goes. And what's great about the accelerators and all the examples that you guys have given so far and which, which you're about to give, I'm reading the feature, I didn't look at your book, it is about content as well. So what is that content? What can be, what, what is going to be a good experience to yeah. the end user? The future of content. Yeah. The future of content is just what's, what's the good experience to an end user? Is that great audio experience that doesn't break? Is that, you know, audio that I can explore in a six degrees of freedom around my, uh, around my headset or around inside of a room? Yeah. Or is it something that you want to be exploring in a three-dimensional world? Oh, Mookie, you could talk all night and uh, we love you for it. I could, but yeah. I won't. <laughs> Mookie, everybody, thank you. Thank you.
So, Jonathan, be interesting to get your thoughts now. And actually, as that sort of young technologist of the year, I think it's really great that we've got different generations represented here and obviously working so closely with BT Sport on the ground as well. It'd be brilliant to get your insights as well. So welcome to you. Yeah, so three, I I guess this is split into three main kind of areas that I took away from IBC. The first being more of a conversational topic around the industry understanding what the future of like linear TV is going to look like. I think there's a lot of questions asked passively through the fact that there was a lot of talk on streaming platforms and and all the -the over-the-top kind of content distribution. But also as well, because there were a few seminars directly asking the questions about what is linear TV going to look like? Is it going to fully die out? I guess to cut to the chase, my opinion on all of that is I don't think it's going to fully die out. I think there's a, a few things that are there logistically that are, are going to stop it from fully dying out, namely being, you know, we've mentioned it already, that the Queen's funeral was a, a very big kind of national event that everyone gathered around and wanted to watch together. But also sporting events too, you know, at BT Sport, we look after the Champions League as one of the main flagship programmes and certainly the final people want to gather all around together and watch that kind of content as a group. But what I do think is going to change about it, uh, you know, and it's, it's shown by the figures of linear TV consumption going down, streaming consumption going up. What is going to change, I think, is, is the role of linear television in, in our everyday kind of lives and where that sits with, with streaming as well. I suppose it's kind of like a, a mind shift of, of, of seeing linear television sitting within a streaming platform and I, I guess kind of like things that are going to need to happen in order for that to be a reality is, is the kind of re-adoption and, and re-evaluation of, of how smart televisions are created for, for people to consume at home. At the moment, we have many, many different apps that we have to go on. If you want to watch Netflix, you have to open the Netflix app. If you want to watch Disney Plus, you've got to open the Disney Plus app. There are a few kind of third-party companies, you know, like Google, pioneering Google TV, where they're trying to merge all that into one. But still, if you want to watch terrestrial television, you have to go out of all of that kind of smart TV setup and then go onto your terrestrial TV area within what you're watching on, which is not a very easy experience for older people, shall I say, generally speaking, without sounding rude. I can speak on behalf of my mum quite quite easily on that. <laughs> to not offend anyone in here, you might all be very savvy with tech, which is great. But as users, we want to you know, receive things in a really easy to consume manner. So it should be our right to demand something easier anyway, regardless of whether you can use it or not. So I think things like that are going to have to take place in order for linear television to sit nicely within streaming. But I think it will have a place in, in there going forward. And it's, I guess, going to have to be a mind shift change for broadcasters as well as to how they set themselves up in order to distribute content to their end users because ultimately their purpose is to meet the needs of, of their consumers. Without consumers, there's not too much of a purpose in having broadcasters. You, you, you could you know, argue in a way because they've got no one watching their content. So especially for people who are relying on advertising revenue, if nobody's watching, you're not getting paid kind of thing. So it's certainly going to have to be a, you have to be on the forefront, I suppose, of thinking about changing your model if you are a very heavier linear based broadcaster, certainly to stay relevant going forward into the future. But I suppose the takeaway point is that streaming 
platforms are no longer just going to provide kind of like your supplementary content around the main broadcast. It won't just be providing your video on demand services when you want to catch up on something you've missed. It will provide all of that plus the live stuff as well uh, and also use you know machine learning and everything else which has been in adoption for, for many years now in order to provide you the content that you're going to like but also some other bits of content around the edges so that you can expand and grow everything without feeling, feeling overwhelmed with the amount of content that obviously is in front of you. And the second point I suppose which is a little bit more prevalent in, in terms of IVC this year and, and I guess one for, for technology specifically was around cloud production and that, I think that was a very good SMPTE seminar that was on cloud production as well and, and looking more specifically at the, at the technology requirements that are needed for cloud production to really take off. We've already heard mentions of, of cloud production being used and at BT as well we're, we're currently trialling using various bits of cloud production on, on smaller profile kind of bits of broadcast but it's, again, a different mindset change and, and an idea of how the cloud production is going to be achieved. It's not simply a case of just porting existing linear broadcast workflows into the cloud. That's all going to have to be reworked in a way because in order to reap the benefits of cloud, you need to build from the ground up microservices, Docker containerized kind of applications, which will allow you to have scalability and spin services up using infrastructure as a code so that you can fully, because it costs a lot of money to spin things up on the cloud. And at the moment, I suppose you can make the argument that it's cheaper for you to buy a bit of kit and stick it in a rack and pay someone to swap stuff over if you don't implement cloud technology in, in the right way. And so there's a lot to this, I guess, because it will also need I guess retraining of a lot of broadcast engineers which we're also being involved in, in in our line of work as well about you know talking more about IP and and how that's a different way of thinking about things it's no longer just one signal on a cable it's no longer being able to easily easily troubleshoot obviously if you know what you're talking about in in, in you know computing terms it can be fairly easy to find out where the problem is but it requires a real mind shift and especially with the I guess, ageing demographic of a lot of broadcast engineers, it can somewhat be a little bit of a challenge to, in order to instill that change. So I guess it's uh, a few people at IBC were talking about hiring, you know, more IT-centric engineers. Um, yes, I think so, but also it's very important for, for people to obviously have an understanding of the broadcast side, because if you come onto the infosec side of things, Security, very, very important when, you, when you're dealing with computer networks and wanting to merge them together in order to share content whenever you want to share them. And important thing to remember, I suppose, is that InfoSec, they're the specialists, so don't worry too much about getting bogged down in the detail, but you need to involve them early on in your projects when you're implementing cloud technologies so that they understand where you're coming from in terms of the demands that media has on an, an IP network or an IT environment, because it can be quite hard sometimes to deal with them if they don't understand the demands that you're placing on their networks. IT data, broadcast data is all quite different. So by including them quite earlier on and allowing them to learn as well can be quite useful, which is why it's helpful to have broadcast engineers who have an understanding of both so that they can bridge the gap almost between the two sectors that are merging. Because a lot of these technologies that we're, we're learning about and, and using now in broadcast have been around for years. And so, you know, multicasting, for instance, been around for years. And, and, but 
in broadcasting, it's a very new thing that not many people know much about. So it's very important in order to bridge that gap so that I guess we can have a more fluid and robust future going forward in terms of technology that we're, we're deploying. And also probably in terms of cloud, some nice standards would be great because, I mean, even with standards in SMPTE 2110, a few people in the room I, I recognise will, will fully know that when you actually come to deploying an installation, it says it supports 2110 on the box. It says it supports NMOS, which is the network media for Open Specification Group, which, which looks at the control of IP network devices. It doesn't work a lot of the time in the nicest way. And so having standards that are unambiguous and and, and can be nailed down for, for cloud implementations, I think will be incredibly useful and needed in order for us to, to see compatibility between many different devices. Mm -hmm. I think as an engineer, you don't want to be locked down to just using one vendor's solution. You want to be able to integrate and choose the best of breed kind of thing so that you can provide the best to your clients if, if you have a client or the best to your customers if you're working in that area. So I think, yeah, standards, very, very important in terms of in that area. And my final point, hopefully I've still got time. Yes, I'll is, let you. Is, is around IP-based products. Uh, obviously, you know, 2110, NDI, all of that's been around for, for years now. But it's kind of the maturing that was mentioned earlier of, of products actually being supportive of those standards that they say they're supportive of. Also, people on the stands being able to talk about the products in, in a way that actually makes technical conversation, you know, possible. And also many other you know, companies coming up with, with other variants of, of products that support those standards. And, and I think also at the moment, or up to this point, we've been using a lot of gateway conversion between SDR and IP. Now we're finally venturing into really seeing the benefits of IP being used by using IP native devices, which is fantastic. So I think you know, with cloud, early stages, we're yet to see the kind of real benefits being reaped from there. Now we're finally on the IP note in IP on-site on installations, beginning to see the realisation of what that can really bring to the clients in terms of understanding the, the full use that IP can bring to that. And also some different IP control systems. It was also quite interesting seeing a company called Arcona, who sort of OEM or the, the original manufacturer for, for Lavo, who probably more of you have heard of, they've kind of split off from Lavo, which I was very interested to hear about. And they now support NMOS standards. Lavo have their own sort of control mechanisms that they like to use, but that are not as widely supportive or not as open standard, shall we say. So it's, it's interesting and exciting to see, yeah, Arcona come out with, with another product that really is quite powerful. And if you want to know more details about that, I'm happy to chat later, but I'll save you the, the technical chat for that now. But one thing that did alarm me actually was on the, the NDI front. Don't say the airport. <laughs> I've, I've got a separate story about the airport. I, horrendous, horrendous experience. I ended up getting a bus to Paris in the end. <laughs> Terrible. Anyway, on the NDI point, even though there was some more Simpty 2110 products, there was an increasingly large number of, of budget end kind of IP products, making it easier for, for, you know, I guess, smaller broadcasters, smaller entertainment providers to pick up IP as a technology to use. I guess as someone who works for a larger broadcaster, I wasn't too happy to see that because I like to see the support of open standards that we're all working from this or singing from the same hymn sheet, shall we say. 
I guess it has a place for, for some people with, with NDI being used. But that was a kind of a real like kind of eye-opening thing of like in my head, I just thought open standards were the way forward that everyone would, would use and implement. But it was actually very surprising to see, for me anyway, that, you know, there's a lot of budget and NDI kind of applications being introduced. So more budget solutions, is that what you're seeing as well? And also the other thing you mentioned before was that you were surprised at how many business cars were still doing the round. So forget your cloud and all your other <laughs> technology, good old fashioned business cars were still being exchanged as well. Yeah, maybe we need some innovation in that area like NFC or, or QR codes or yeah. LinkedIn QR codes. Oh, yeah, QR cards, like yeah. No, I think it's there already. <laughs> yeah, very interesting actually. But your take about linear TV versus is sort of the streaming don't you think linear still got quite a few years to run just in terms of say i'm thinking about the uk when you look at the most popular programs having done something with barb the british audience research bureau that those linear programs still out smart all the other streaming ones unless of course you've got you know watching friends on on whatever for for eyeball's sake but do do you not see linear still has a way to run yet yeah definitely i i also think that it's it's a large ship to steer isn't it so it's going to take time and and also from an infrastructure point of view a lot of streaming requires you to have a decent internet connection and can't forget that especially for the bbc who you know have got a remit to you know provide for the public they will probably be the last ones if if anyone ever does move off fully of linear terrestrial transmission they'll be the very last ones to move because there'll be people in this country who just won't be able to get an internet connection or want to have one and so that's going to last that long at least anyway isn't it yeah yeah indeed yeah absolutely fascinating stuff thank you so much jonathan everybody thank you And Neil been waiting very patiently down the air, but it's going to be worth the wait. He's got some slides as well. He's specially prepared. So Editor-in-Chief Feed Magazine, the floor is all yours, Neil. Thanks very much. Can you hear me? My, my, my mic has gone out, so I've got the special... Elvis was was it cloud-based? <laughs> it, it was, yeah, was cloud-based. Yeah, I'm, so Feed Magazine, here's my little feed pitch. You can use those QR codes to go to our link trees where there's a sign-up link and a bunch of other stuff, and you can follow us on socials. And it's also in the magazines, which you were assaulted with down in the, in, in the refreshment area. So we've, as I said, you know, we cover innovations in broadcast and media tech, and some people have called us the wireds of the broadcast industry, which I'm running with because I love that. That's very, very complimentary. And, and, you know, we try to take a look at not just at what's happening, but kind of what's maybe what's coming up and what some of the big picture stuff is. My background isn't in technology per se. I started out as a creative and, and have moved into journalism. And so a lot of what we try to do is kind of see the overview and go, oh, well, that's, that's kind of like that and try to draw some, some connections maybe that might not be obvious. So at, we, we, we've been to IBC. Every time there's an IBC, we're out there in force with our little feed t-shirt things on there, which are get mixed reactions. And we always take the train. So just so you know, it's really easy, really cushy to go right to Amsterdam. You're hanging out in the train, looking out the window, sheep going past. It's great. But very little problem at customs. Very, very few queues. I'm just rubbing it in. No, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> Do you work for Eurostar, really? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, we can, I guess we'll go to the next slide. And so, yeah, there are kind of maybe three sort of major themes that popped out to me when I was thinking about 
about IBC. And they kind of, as I kind of look at them, they're sort of, I think they're sort of connected or they kind of run into each other. And one is this, this idea of distributed broadcast and remote production becoming really normalized. And that is a lot of these technologies were in place before the pandemic. You know, we could do a lot of remote broadcast. You could do things from home. You know, most of us in, you know, whatever kind of jobs we had, you could, you could probably work from home. You know, your boss probably didn't want you to work from home, but you could have done it from home. And then the pandemic came along and people scrambled to implement a lot of these, you know, in broadcast remote technology, sometimes like over a weekend, like, okay, starting next week, nobody is in and we have to figure out how to get this show on. You know, how are we going to do that? So, you know, to, to be creative, as they say, you know, you need creativity requires limitations, right? You know, so we have limitations that kind of forces you to, to be creative and people got creative and they took a lot of these tools that were there and created a lot of new kind of not new ways of doing broadcast, but kind of new workflows for them stuff that had been there for a while. They picked up these tools and, uh, and, and, and made a go of it. And, you know, there was a, a lot of very creative programming, especially around news over the pandemic. And, and it allowed a lot of kind of other alternative content to pop up. I was like the, the, the cornhole story. I don't know if you've heard of cornhole. It's, it's, it's a Texas thing and it's basically tossing bean bags in, you know, so you do, you do it in, in, at a barbecue, you know, you sort of throw bean bags at a target when you're hanging out, drinking beer, cooking a whatever you cook at a Texas barbecue and and that became a thing on ESPN during the pandemic and it be because it was like okay here's where's the sport <laughs> cornhole I think it's because they're they're maybe the bean bags are not filled with beans they're full of like little corn maybe or something yeah um, but so it was and they could do it remotely and so a lot of these you know the, the, this remote production enabled these sort of new types of content to pop up and coming to IBC, what was interesting is we'd missed that gap of a couple of years where you have that hype curve of, oh, it's, you know, remote production. It's going to be amazing. Remote. We missed it. And it was like remote production is the next thing. And then when you got to this IBC, it was everybody was already doing it. And I hadn't really seen that before, kind of from a tech show, that idea, this thing sort of cresting. And then once you kind of get into the next conversation, it's normalized and people are just, people are using it and it's, okay, we all use remote production. We're definitely not sending all these, and we, you saw it in the big sport events, you know, the BBC was not sending every, you know, the giant crews out to the Olympics or, or you know, the big, big events. People were just working from a central location or even working home sometimes. And that became like with, you know, in, in the non-media industry and in kind of our personal lives, that became kind of the way we do it now. And and that's I've rarely have seen that in in a in the technology. And I think we'll probably see lots of examples of that when you kind of think about how the pandemic affected people. But I hadn't really seen that pop from something preparing to happen and then something being old news and it being being kind of a regular thing. I guess we go to the next slide. So and in that, you know, trade shows are about people. It was great to see people and to be in front of people at a show and, and as other people have said, that was a really great thing you had you did have a sense that people had forgotten how to be around other people where that you're kind of like oh so oh you have legs you know just used to just seeing your head and um but it but it was really a 
an opportunity for people to talk, but also, and I, I think that trade shows, whatever trade show is, is really going to change. And I don't think we're going to go back to the same kind of IBC that we've had before. And if you, I don't know, how many people are here actually went to the IBC this year? Okay, so oh, quite so quite a few. It'd be interesting to kind of get what what your sense was. But it was a thing of you were you were talking to people who you'd seen, you know, you'd been talking to them earlier in the year when they were like, oh, crap, I got to go pick up my kid, you know, and they'd have to jump off a Zoom call. And you'd, you'd kind of already, there, there was that sort of re, maybe rapport that had been established with people or intimacy with people that then when you got to the trade show to have those conversations, it was kind of felt like everything was on a, a, a slightly different level, maybe a more intimate level or more a less bullshit level or a continuation of the conversations that you had been having. So it wasn't the idea of having these trade shows where there's a big blip where you have your conversations and then you see somebody again the next trade show and you have another conversation. It was just a continuation of the conversations you'd already been having. And so it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, how does a trade show work with that, where you need to have, I think it's really important to have these face-to-face conversations, because you, that's, I think, where you find out what things, what's real, what things are real, when you actually have a conversation with somebody, because I think, you know, we can all sort of stay online and stay in a digital world and you can kind of talk yourself into things, you know, because it's, it's ultimately, it's just you sitting in your office (laughs) looking at a screen. But once you actually, you know, once you actually get around people and you start kind of being able to have those, those conversations and sometimes very spontaneous conversations, you can kind of start getting at, at, I think sometimes more, more creative solutions or, or deeper solutions. And I think that's going to be really interesting to see how trade shows develop and how, how IBC changes. And and it's what, you know, IBC has been very good at reinventing itself in, in different ways. And, and I think there will be, I know it's a problem that they've sort of wrestled with and, and talked about and, and how do they kind of keep that that idea of IBC kind of going 365, you know, IBC 365 is the is the, the editorial proposition there. So I think that's going to be that's going to be an interesting thing to see and kind of how are we going to move to these smaller events like this to kind of have these kinds of meetings, you know, or are we I just I just don't see people doing big giant trade shows, you know, the way they have been anymore. Which brings us to the next slide. So sustainability was a was definitely in most of the conversations I had and you know, we're going around talking to to people at the booths, and that's a, a lot of what we do at the shows. You know, we talk, obviously we talk to our advertisers, but we just go around and ask people what's going on, and they tell us about their new tech, and they tell us about you know what their plans are, and we always ask them about sustainability. And you have a lot of there's definitely a lot of talk about sustainability. IBC was quite good this year and had been getting better and better. But this year, there were a, a number of panels that were sustainability panels, you know, about, I can't remember off the top of my head, but, you know, some about efficiency and power and promoting sustainability and broadcast. And, you know, there, there are a number of them. But what I one thing I, I do find is it's you know, we say the word sustainability and you hear that word sustainability, but there's a sense that it, there's no real agreement on what people mean, you know, when they, when they say sustainability and, you know, are you talking about a carbon footprint? You know, are you talking about, cause it, it will start to leak out into diversity or it will start to leak out into, you know, no plastics or waste, you know, how do we, how do we deal with waste and recycling? And it will start to become kind of any sort of, 
you know, corporate responsibility thing. So I think that's something that is we're going to have to really work on. And especially with this, as I think we know, because there's a lot of people here who probably know some math, that, that this clock is ticking on this thing. And that as an industry, and specifically an industry, we need to ramp, you know, ramp our carbon footprint down very rapidly. And I think much more rapidly than anybody really is is really willing to talk about. And so I think that's going to be, you know, how, how that is going to happen. I haven't really heard a lot of people talk about. So I think that's, that's going to be, that's going to be something. So we'll get to the next slide. And uh, there is uh, the greening of streaming who we heard talk about earlier had was at a meeting of streaming organizations at IBC. And they had this graphic. I was talking to Adam Kerwin, who's the, the exec there. And this Dom Robinson, who is one of the founders of Greening of Streaming, had been talking to people about the actual power cost of streaming content, because there's a lot of controversy about it, you know, is how much power does streaming actually consume? And there's this thing kind of like, well, it's all in the set, it's all in the TV set, which is not true. And he, <laughs> he did some crunching of numbers, I guess, at first, literally on the back of, a, of an envelope, and then sat down to figure it out, and came up with this. And I'm sure it's available that, you know, Greening is streaming, we'll give it to anybody who asks. But they had this up on a poster there. And it's just, he, he kind of traced the whole journey of a bit of streaming content from where it's encoded and sent out until it gets to somebody's display. And it's, it's consuming, according to, to what Dom had, the numbers he had crunched, that's consuming power at all those points along the way. And it's, that's always on. So, you know, on demand means that this is running so that you at the end can turn the faucet and have your content come out, you know? And uh, so it's worth kind of thinking that it's not just there's power at the one end and then power at your TV end. You know, there are all these things all the way along the way that are consuming power 24-7. But I thought that was, you know, worth thinking about because there are a lot of these these kind of hidden things that we don't necessarily think about or problems that are like, well, I'm sure you're going to solve that problem. And no, I thought you were going to solve that problem. That, you know, I think when we get people together, we can kind of start sorting those things out. So, and I think this is the last slide. Oh, yes. It's, it's you. It's me. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about myself for a while. Yeah. Uh, you do no, look that's, like your photo. No, that's, that's obviously my contact. Please get a hold of me because we, we want to hear from you. And we also, if any of you want to get print subscriptions to the magazine, we'll happily subscribe you. Just, you know, we'll just sign you up. And that's also, I didn't talk about Extreme. Extreme is our new sports magazine, which we launched a couple of years ago, which we split off from the original feed. And that covers technology and content creation in sports. So, yeah, that's right. it for me. And thanks. Thank you very much, Neil. Yeah, got a, a round of applause spontaneously. There we go. Yeah, it's just interesting what you said about that, the streaming actually and how much power it does take because a, a lot of other industries, the spotlight on their sustainability credentials, whether it's you know, transportation, aviation, the textile industry, they've had a, a lot of spotlight and negativity about it. But I think people don't realise, particularly the younger generation who are more au fait with streaming, of how much power it's taking up. So those green credentials... That is, I think there's going to be more around that coming forward. But just a, a wider point on sustainability. How practical is sustainability when budgets are squeezed, do you think? Yeah, I think that becomes a values question about... I mean, I, again, I think that is the, is the... 
I think that's what I'm saying when you we talk to people at IBC or talk about sustainability that people don't really have a sense of what the science actually is, or, or that's my feeling that they that they feel like there's some wiggle room or we could do that next year or how can I get around this you know and and not not to be that guy but it's but you know it's it's physics <laughs> really so so there there is a certain amount of of you know for example certain amount of carbon we can put in the you know it's I always think of it as being you know that scene in the abyss where there's Ed Harris and and what's her name and they're you know they're drowning and, is it Nicole Kidman? And then she drowns. Who's and it's, who's in, hmm? is it Nicole Kidman? No, I don't know who's in the No, Kidman. no, it's is Elizabeth Mastrantino. But anyway, but it is that thing of like, there is this bit of carbon budget we have left. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. So, so, so there is, you can say the budgets <clears throat> are strained, but that you, you have to find a solution. Yeah, you know? indeed. So it's okay. Parts. Well, thank you very much, panellists. I think let's go over to the floor now. We've got a couple of roving mics. So if you can wait for <laughs> the mic to come to you, you might have to hand... I've oh, got one mic now, have we? Because Neil's got the other one. So do you have a question for any of our panellists? If there's a specific panellist you'd like the question to go to, then please point at them or say their name or whatever so we know where to direct the question. So any questions for our panellists? Who would like to go first? We're going to keep the lights up on full. And yeah, go on. Brighter. It's that tumbleweed moment. It's, remember, if you ask the first question, you're the cleverest person in the room. There you go. There we go. <laughs> first drink. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Very good. Yeah. If you could quickly introduce yourself. Uh, of course well. I can. Yeah. I'm Andrew Ebon, president of Octopus TV, and I love cornholing, so I think that's a brilliant, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a brilliant thing to do. We, we touched on this. I was at RTC at one of the events yesterday. We were talking about the content side of it. And I raised the question about Twitter, and we talked about the, the need for the everything app. And Elon Musk, with his arm gently twisted to complete <laughs> the deal on Twitter, what are you, what's the panel's view on the future of Twitter and Elon's view about the everything app and X? What's your view? Well, let's just go for a couple of views, shall we? So who, who wants to tackle that one to begin with? The future of Twitter. Russell, you look, um, you've got a raised eyebrow there. <laughs> well, that's just because I'm thinking about it. I mean, re reality <clears throat> is, you know, obviously he's got some challenges ahead, doubtless. We, we all know that the, the difficulty of maintaining interest without having polarising views is, is something which more than Twitter needs to deal with. And, and I think perhaps the, the greater interest might be in, in the Everything app concept. It's highly successful in, in China and might notice that it's a totalitarian state, effectively. And perhaps that's the way in which these things happen. So I think, you know, working out whether there's an Everything app, you can go in two ways. You can either look at it whether there's a political motivation and you can look at it to whether there's a business motivation. Now, putting aside the, the discouragement that I believe both Google and Apple put into these everything apps, they prefer single apps because that's a much easier concept for everyone to deal with. Um, you know, is there really a business case to mix these things together? And you know, I think in general, I see companies voluntarily splitting things out. And I think that makes for, for an easier way forward. From a media perspective, I, I don't know whether there's really any anything to gain because effectively we're talking about content and how you consume it. So if you had something akin to iPlayer with more long-form content relevant to the whole nation in the same app next to a slightly different mode of the app, which has got more Twitter slash TikTok kind of media consumption, 
I think it's up to a brand to work out whether they can merge those together. But perhaps we can just lastly go back to what Jonathan was saying about the, you know, the sit-back TV, the linear TV. You know, really, however it's delivered, whether it's in an app, whether it's over the air, whether it's over the, over the internet, really, sometimes you just want to sit back and watch TV. And sometimes you want to you know, play around and have a, have a little look. So uh, I just don't know whether you can unite that under one app, but we just need to also remember that we, we need to continue to cater to everybody's needs. And whether you just want to sit back and be told what you're going to watch, always have a minimal amount of... Uh, if, if you think about the YouTube way of working where you you go through your it recommends stuff and then you don't want it so you just pull down and it recommends some more stuff really what that is is it's giving you a playlist and you've got a few you know until you're bored you can you can go through some options of what your next program is so it's a it is a playlist it's like it's a little bit linear but each time you get to the end of one you have a choice which is a bit different to some of the more expansive VOD offerings where you say, I want to watch that, and I'm going to go watch that. So really, you know, it's, it's a spectrum as ever. Mm. I think that's a very thorough answer. Just a quick comment from Mookie, well, yeah. The, the question really goes back to Elon Musk. Like, yeah. you can't even control or <laughs> dictate whatever an AI bot is running Twitter. How's he going to run everything AI? AI bots for everything, really. But it does pose a little bit of irony around a lot of the conversations that we have in our extended reality worlds around the future of interoperability and where those lie. And we know that like not everyone is playing nicely in the playground together. I always like to use the example, how can I get my, my colleague using Microsoft Teams to use my Google Doc? <laughs> It's not going to happen for a while. Yeah. So I think it's. Well I think it would be interesting to see what happens. With yeah, them. I think those two thorough answers, actually. I think very good answers. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Any other questions, please? A gentleman here has caught my eye. Anybody else? Because so, I'm just conscious of time. Can I line up the next one? I might be able to take one more. Gentleman there. Have we got any ladies who are going to ask any questions, please? I'd like to have a gender balance. Sorry. But not, not, if it, you don't have to if you don't want to. Gentleman there, Hi, please. Dave Shield from IMG, Independent Sports Production Company. Yeah. Question for Jonathan, and it's a bit of an old school on this, UHD. There's been this sort of arms race in the UK between Sky and BT around UHD. But I deal with about 400 broadcasters sort of worldwide, and a lot of them are thinking 1080p HDR would be the way to go. That would be a UHD format. Do you have any thoughts? (laughs) Yes, I I do think that visually for, for consumers... Probably HDR makes more of a visual impact on your eyes. I think, like, I can't remember the exact stats, but, like, you've got to sit a certain distance from, from a television to, to appreciate the, the, the added pixels that you get from, the yeah, <laughs> from a UHD uh, picture. And so you can probably calculate that a lot of people sitting at home in their compact living rooms are not going to benefit from that. And, and so HDR certainly pops more. It's more visually more impressive and I guess I'm speaking out of my own experience I, I've certainly thought an image with HDR is certainly more attractive to look at I I'm not BT Sport unfortunately so I, I can't obviously discredit their want to I think a bit of it for them is fueled also by UEFA wanting certain standards to say that you know we can broadcast in Dolby Atmos how many people at home are making use of Dolby Atmos I, d- I don't know hands up yeah <laughs> Oh, wow. Oh. So that, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Where's my audio guy? <laughs> no. No, no, yeah. Thank you. But we are in a techie room, I guess. Yeah. So. I just want to just get your thoughts on the answer. Was there anything that you wanted to add to that as well? Just that, what you just heard? Yeah, go on. Have the microphone back. Come on, let's hear but, uh, your Only thoughts. that, yeah, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense. And, and I think it was a slightly unnecessary 
arms race led by <laughs> manufacturers, let's just say. <laughs> Very diplomatic. I like your style. One, one would expect that from IMG. There you go. And there's got a... <laughs> No, there's a, just over here, there was a gentleman who had his hand up. There we go. And I think that's it, unless there's anybody else of, of a certain gender that wants uh, to ask a question. <laughs> Ladies! <laughs> Ladies. <laughs> no pressure, though. There, there you go. Hi there, Martin Mon from the High Tree Network, European Regional Development Fund, specialising in virtual production. So my question is for Jonathan, and it's you touched base about cloud. And what's your thoughts about cloud GPU and whether that's scalable, scalable thing for your company and... Uh, do you see a sort of like the future there in near rendering time? Yeah, very interesting question. I think there's there's a whole conversation still to be had about timing in the cloud and 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 how you how you care about how long it takes for something to be processed in terms of the money side, costly of course, but then that comes back to the the point about you know using your resources for for a specific amount of time of when you exactly need it for a production and then taking it down again. To, to better utilize what that's offering. But yeah, I, I think more probably needs to be delved into the, the timing and processing times. I think it's fine for post-production workflows where that doesn't matter, but for doing live through the cloud, I think probably that's an area where more work needs to be done. C certainly from my experience of things in that, which is quite limited. So there might be more people in the room who have more experience on that who might want live to Live to air? In. Yes through the cloud yeah mm -hmm. and in terms of timing and latency that you get through yeah. through you know processing times of, of you know good GPUs, question for instance yes yeah well G gpus and cpus don't get discussed too too much and on a panel like this except if we want to we really think forward on that type of live cloud uh, yeah deployment really good question thank you and have, are you satisfied with the answer yes. is that yeah. <laughs> Martin, oh, you'll be drinking. Let's not end on that one, yeah. shall we? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, how would you go on then? Go for add, it. I think one issue with the GPUs in the cloud, which hopefully will get better thanks to Ethereum, but is the lack of availability, and it's a big problem for for broadcasters in general to deal with. It's a great promise what the cloud has, whichever cloud you choose. But if you if you press go on your infrastructure as code and it says like can't build it because there's no instances available then it's a no-go situation and then to get around that if you want then to to pre-book and reserve your instances then you know you're you're kind of wrecking your business model so that's we i think as an industry we need to understand how that's going to pan out and certainly some vendors have started working to remove the gpu requirement but then you're starting to branch your your, your systems and, and do things differently each time and nobody wants that so that that's a that's a sticking point i think and and it's a sticking point across the cloud ecosystem whether it's cpu or gpu but for the because of gpus being less used across the board it's, it's more acute You've got to be happy with that answer now. Come on. Yeah, thank you. You That's can it. always tweet Elon Musk. And he'll yeah. Fine. Right, very quickly, because I'm very we conscious we're standing in the way. Oh, we've got a lady. So, hey. There we go. Sorry. So I didn't mean to sort of signal out you. But, yes, there we go. Well, I was going to say, we're, you're standing in the way of a drink, but it's worth it. So there we go. That's go right. for it. Hello. Yeah, just uh, holding the mic for all the ladies in the room. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Aradna. I'm director of Radio TechCon, taking place here Ooh. in November. Please come along. Yes, brilliant. Um, you're very welcome. I... 
So this isn't really a question to any of your expertise, but sustainability has been mentioned by almost everyone on the panel. And Neil, you mentioned that it was one of your top three things that you came away from. And maybe you were pointing out the the fact that people are understanding the need for different ways of working. But I haven't heard that much about what was actually discussed and what anyone's doing about it. And I was wondering if any of you remembered anyone talking about you know kind of how we're moving forward how things are changing and in particular you know I think we know where some of the big you know factors are what are the what are the broadcasters or suppliers doing to actually tackle some of that okay who wants that one very quickly should I okay yeah go go for it see there are some major organizations like BBC for example what they have done is they have set certain standards for all their suppliers their vendors and their partners. So if you meet the eligibility of these kind of things which you are doing, like for example, very simple example, not to use plastic in office. So they're entertaining only those people as partners, as vendors, if they abide by this rule. This is a very small example. But that is one which is happening across the entire value chain, the supply chain actually. So one thing is very important is that I feel the leaders need to come together, sit down, and have a common way of working because it won't suit if there are certain elements in the supply chain who are following the zero carbon rules, but others are not. So it has to be across the supply chain. And I, 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 I'm, I'm really very you know, happy to see that this has been followed across. Even in my office, we don't use plastic. You know, I've seen a lot of people, and these are like terms and conditions. You have to do it before we do business with you. You're talking about single-use plastic. Single-use plastic, plastic, for example. So such examples are their terms and conditions. For example, now also there are a lot of companies who will calculate the carbon footprint within your organization. And that will become a kind of a certification, right? So if you certify then only you will probably be able to work with other partner, with other obvious supplier or buyer or whatever. So it's moving across that you have to satisfy certain conditions in order to do business with someone else, which is a good step. And and there are a lot of third parties, you know, carbon certification and all those. There are a lot of software available now. They can calculate your entire carbon footprint of each individual within the company as well. So I see there are big steps happening. But other than that, other big things which is happening is that innovation is driving a lot of innovation, which I'm more happy about. So there are a lot of innovation being driven because of zero, the carbon zero kind of. Yeah. Did you want to say something, Russell? Yeah, I mean, I just had a, the Devoncroft Summit before IBC started. They talked about sustainability and, and also the, the go-to-market for, for new projects. Um, the way that broadcasters are talking to vendors. So there's a bit of disparity, and I'd certainly second your your comments that the larger broadcasters and telcos, etc., need to be putting these things as requirements for their vendors, partly because that, that is part of their equations, and this is the first time that they've ever really measured these things. So, But, but also the disparity is that, although it is part of the requirements for RFPs, it's still very, very low percentage on the actual marking mm. so you know you're, you're asking all of these things but then there's only five percent against On the it to actually win the, the, and so the, there are things like that that need to start to be and i think it will happen but there's a lot more talk and i'm not saying that cynically there's a lot more talk about it than than today people are going to be marked against i think that will change swiftly 
and and part of the work that BBC and others are doing is are building the tools for us all to do this because we all know that if, if you're a large company asking a s- small company to, to feed into you, you know, they haven't got the resources to, to launch a you know, project to, to, to test all these things. You need to say, these are, the, these are what we need, this is how you measure it, tell us what the answer is. And that's the thinking which is happening but hasn't quite finished really and it's a little bit it's great that it's happening but it's not quite there yet i think it's a whole other session isn't it but that's a really useful point to bring up and uh, yeah i think we just scratched the surface on that one so thank you very much just finally want to get a quick soundbite from each panelist remember the future of content this is what the the title was the ibc review so i'm going to start this sentence neil just a quick soundbite from you what you want the audience to think about when it comes to the future of content or that that it's a lot of it is still just television so, you know, Netflix, Amazon, this wall of content are still just TV shows, you know. So I think there's something about, like, don't underestimate the value of just sort of simple, simple content. You know, don't yeah. overcomplicate it. Yeah. Wise words. Jonathan. I think standards very important in terms of both the technology, but also sustainability, so that we're all knowing what we're measuring things by, so yeah. that you know when we're going into these new areas of technology that we can navigate them well and that we can use it and get the best from it. Common national, international standards. Yeah, wise words as well. Mookie, same to you. I'm going to throw him a cornhole over here <laughs> and uh, say one. the future of content is uh, it's immersive, it's interactive, it's hyper-connected across platforms. Well, I'm working in Texas in November, so I'm going to go out searching for this. I'm from Illinois. That's the home of the corn. (laughs) Thank you very much, Mookie. Russell. I would say don't think in a binary fashion about content. We've got the long form, we've got the short form. Platforms like YouTube have created a different type of content we didn't really have before. Same for TikTok. We've got to remember this is all one continuum. We get to choose where we want to be and which parts we want to see. And it's only going to extend the more that things like the IBC Accelerator allow us to generate new types of content. Yeah, very wise words. And finally from you, the last words are from Mabu. Any type of content, it may be streaming, it may be images, it may be sound, it may be metaverse, 3D, any type of content. The value of content is only there if, if it is available to everyone, anyone, anywhere, any device. I think that's where the more focus is going to be creation and delivery of content across and whenever you want on demand. What a beautiful way to end. So thank you very much to our panellists. Thank you. Don't don't go anywhere. Thank you. Right. Just quickly looking ahead. I promise you, you all get a drink soon. I just want to promote a few things happening. The Friday lunch lecture. Now the events are back in swing. Why don't you come along to the 28th of October? The wider threat of nuisance or malicious non-cooperative drones. So that's a very exciting... Yeah, very... <laughs> that's an everyday... I'm not chairing that one, although actually I do know quite a few things about drones. And then also on Wednesday evening, I particularly like this, an exciting topic... Details to be confirmed. That's what the whole panel is going to be about. An exciting topic. And then one that has really caught my eye. In fact, I could talk about this one. Friday the 25th of November, Hydroflex, 
decarbonising UK railways. In fact, I did a whole podcast a year ago with Siemens, so why don't you just play that at this event and you'll need to, <laughs> you won't need to know anything else. That was with Siemens as well. I know there's a Siemens room here too. And obviously, this event has been co-produced with the Royal Television Society. So just looking ahead there, something you might be interested in, Lost in Translation, Wednesday the 26th of October at 5pm. So adapting scripted TV formats to different national audiences. That is such a challenge, isn't it, when you think about programs, different cultures, different parts of the world. How do they get adapted? Are they lost in translation? So that's a really exciting one to listen to as well. And then finally, if you didn't know how to get a hold of IET, all the social details are there. And I think the final few words are going to be from Terry Marsh, who's co-produced this event alongside David. So round of applause to Terry, please. Thank you, Terry. Thank you very much. It's my job to give a vote of thanks to our wonderful panel and our great chair and to just pick up a few of the themes that we've had over, over the course of a really, really interesting evening. So thank you. We've had, the, we've, we've had fast mentioned. We've had how, how do you monetize new ways of, of, of content. We've had a concept of maturing of propositions. You know, things can be done, but how easy is it to do it and how well do they do it? I really like that concept. We've had commercial organisations collaborating, which is really good that Mookie's been explaining to us. What is linear TV? Are we looking at new models of it? I, and, and I really like the idea of not only retraining people who are already in the industry, but retraining people who are coming in who don't particularly necessarily know in the IT area what it is that we're doing. I'll say standards. <laughs> I'll say standards. And, and the fact that sustainability is leading to innovation, you know, the, and, and, and our move to the cloud is leading to innovation. So innovation is really on its way. And thank you all for coming. The RTS London Podcast.